Please note that some content of this podcast episode is only applicable to UK residents. And for non-UK residents, it is for information only. Hello and welcome to The Wealth Chat, a podcast brought to you by Kleinwort Hambros. In this series, we'll be helping listeners to make sense of the world of wealth. My name is Fahad Kamal, Chief Market Strategist at Kleinwort Hambros, and I'll be hosting today's episode. Today, we're going to jazz up pensions and retirement planning. We'll be looking at the whole sphere of later life planning for how much people actually need to save, the trends in how different generations are approaching retirement, and what best to do with your savings. Joining me in the studio today is Andrew Dixon, our Head of Wealth Planning, and Marine Ali, one of our Senior Wealth Planners, both here at Climate Hambros. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Marine. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Fabulous. So, how do we jazzify the world of wealth planning? For starters, Marine, is retirement planning something really important? Well, certainly most people dream of the day that they can retire. And certainly from a financial planning point of view, it's a fundamental consideration in everything that we do. It's one of the most, if not the most important goal that we help clients work towards about how to use their savings and assets to achieve their desired lifestyle in retirement. People are arguably living longer, as we all know, um, which on the one hand means that people have more time to save for retirement. But then on the other hand, it means that their retirement is longer than that of previous generations. There was actually a study recently done by a scientist at Stanford University who said that the first person who's going to live to 200 years old has already been born. Um, and I doubt It's not has... me. <laughs> well, you, don't, you never know. It could I'm be. I'm pretty sure. Well, then I would ask you, would you actually like to continue working at 150 years old? Probably not, but what, what's, the, what's the official advice around that? Well, this is it. And so really the idea is that actually people do need to plan for their retirement. And certainly it's never too early to consider investing in a pension. I've seen clients who are arguably overzealous and have even set up pensions for their grandchildren, which I'm not necessarily recommending. But again, like I said, it's never too early. So, Marion, just to stop you right there, I mean, really, what does it mean when we say retirement? retirement planning what are we doing are we literally just putting away a certain amount of money during our working lives for when the day comes that we eventually stop working so if you look back previously employers used to provide final salary pension schemes and people used to rely upon that that guaranteed income for life that their employer would provide through a pension scheme However, nowadays, people have a variety of assets. So when people talk about saving for retirement, it's not just looking at someone's pension scheme, but at their assets as a whole, which is where financial planning comes in. Yeah, I just add to that, you know, the biggest reason why people are investing their money in the, in the UK is for the, the day that they actually retire, because there's going to come a day where... They um, they need to live off their savings, and and it's fair to say, to kind of touching on Marine's point earlier, that in a, a previous generation did have a final salary pension scheme to fall back on, but that no longer is the norm. We've sort of got to figure it out as we go along now. Exactly, the responsibility now is is very much with the individual rather than the employer or the state. I mean, we still do have state pensions. Um, but they're becoming less and less important of of an individual's retirement planning. We now need to rely more and more on our own volition, putting away money aside every month, every year, making sure it's invested in the right place to eventually get us to the goal that we're seeking, which is 
living a comfortable retirement. So, Marine, how do we do that when we don't know the numbers? How many years am I going to live? How many years am I going to work? What do I need to put aside? What rate of return am I going to make? How do we make sense of it all? I think that's the the big question, really, and it's something that is an ongoing discussion that we have with with our clients. And it was interesting because I was recently involved in a research report for millennials, where along with 20 other banks and financial institutions, we spoke to almost 5,000 millennials. And over half said they didn't know how much to save. But at the end of the day, that's the same thing I have with clients in their 50s and 60s who also don't know how much they need to save. you 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 may have found a connecting bridge between the two. Yeah. One of the very few, I suppose, between those generations. But as you said, Farhad, the idea is that it can be very difficult to know how much to save um, because, like you said, things are changing. People are working longer. People are living longer. And also the idea of retirement is very different now to how it used to be. We've seen now that people who retire, if you want to say draw upon their pension, are actually still working. They're still earning other income. So actually, even if somebody does access their retirement income, they're not necessarily retired because they're still working. So actually, the idea of pension planning and using only your pension when you fully retire has changed. Similarly, as we have other assets that people look to draw in retirement, people use other assets like ISAs or savings in retirement. Again, when people retire, it's not just about taking their money from their pension. If you think about the assets that people use for income in retirement in the UK, we're a a nation obsessed by property. Many, many clients will have buy-to-let properties and and the income that that's generating will form an important part of their um, retirement planning. Given some of those idiosyncrasies and, and given some of the personal aspects, what are the rules of thumb that apply to everybody? What should we be doing? What should we not be doing? we should be saving. It's very difficult to say how much you need to save because you need to work from from the end and, and work back. Well, surely that number depends on, on what's coming in. It, it does. And, do, and what you want in retirement as well. Exactly. So that the starting point really is to say, well, what do you want your retirement to look like? Um, because everyone will have a, uh, a view what they want their retirement to look like. It, for many people, it would be what I call front-loaded in the, the early years of retirement will incur the most expenditure and then it tends to it tends to tail off over time Um, why is that i'm curious i think when where the day that people retire there's a big big release and um, people will spend money on holidays traveling the world but there's only so many times you can do that before it starts to become like a job in itself Um, so there is a there is you do see a trend of people in the early years of retirement spending more and then as, as they um, get a little bit older, it tends to tail off. The actual amount they need to live the retirement that they want to will depend on the expenditure. Andrew, I, I totally get how, you know, how it's sort of impossible to, to answer. But, but just to put some quantitative parameters around this, I mean, how do, we, how do we even begin to answer such a question as to what we need when we retire? Well, I think the first the, or the starting point should be what's your likely expenditure in retirement? Uh, and if, for instance, if we're just going to throw a number out there, if that number is, say, 100,000 a year, 100,000 per annum, we need to start thinking about building a pot of money which is going to deliver that 100,000 pounds a year. Which, which these days, uh, from a you know from a perspective of very low yields, etc., is quite challenging because to generate that kind of income, you need you need a big pot. 
you you need a big pot and you need to take um, perhaps more risk than you're willing to or more risk than you would have taken 15 years ago. Right, and, and the reason for that is very simply because if you had, let's say, £2 million in 1985 and you wanted to generate £100,000 on that, it would be quite easy because you could just do it by putting it in the bank. Ex- exactly. But today, you would have to lend to the government of Iraq. Exactly. Uh, you know, even pre-financial crisis, when interest rates were five, six percent, it was very easy for uh, for clients to generate the income they need by sitting in cash. Today, that's that's not gonna that's not gonna happen unless they have a a much larger size pot. So, Marine, put, putting that equally impossible question to answer to you, how much do people actually need to save these days? Well, really, it depends upon their income, their expenditure, and also their assets. And like I said, that's why now what we do is is look at people's assets as a whole rather than just their retirement. As you and Andrew have just been talking about, in respect to investments, um, people can have different wrappers for their investments, which they can draw upon in retirement, for example. One of the things that we do when we meet clients in order to discuss retirement planning with them is to really understand their objectives and goals and what assets they currently have and make sure that those assets are working towards those goals that they're looking to achieve. So whether that be something like cash flow modelling and saying, well, actually, you need to achieve this much growth in this many years to retire at this date, or you require this sort of return by this point in order to retire at a certain age. So, Marion, put some flesh on the, on those bones for me in the sense that what what is a cash flow model, and how you know, and how do people begin to answer these sorts of questions in in, in real life? Walk me through a case study. So, the simplest definition of a cash flow model is basically a computer program or a modeling tool which would plug in all of your assets, your income and map that out over a number so of years. So your income but other assets such as, as Andrew's mentioning, your, your, the house you own, etc. Yes, et it would right. put everything into it and basically show you what would happen over a number of years if you were to contribute to a pension or if you were not to contribute to a pension, what the effect would be in 10 years' time. And so really what we do as financial planners is sit down with clients and try to get as much information from them about their assets and about their goals in order to firstly show them what would be the effect if no action were taken and if things were to carry on as they are, and secondly, to show what perhaps could change or we would recommend in order to help them achieve what they need to. So, for example, it might be that somebody currently saves £1,000 a month and we would project that and show what the value of that would be in retirement in maybe 20 years' time. And conversely, we would say, well, actually, if you save £2,000 a month, this is the difference it could potentially have on your pension in retirement. And they're the sorts of conversations that we have with clients. There's also a question there about how much investment risk they're prepared to take as well, because that will ultimately have a um, have a different outcome. The first thing is how much you're putting away for later, right? And then the second thing, in a way, is how much that what you've put away for later is working on its own. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say that in general, people then tend not to take enough risk with the assets that they're planning to retire on, say, 10, 20 years away from retirement, because they've got a long time horizon there to see out the volatility. And it, what's the sense? Yeah. So what, what does that mean? So why is the 
Why is time horizon an important factor, even for somebody who's quite risk averse? Higher risk assets over a long term should deliver a higher return, but obviously the volatility, some clients might, may not like that. But at the same time, if you've got a long time horizon, you've got more than enough time to see to recover those. Recover from, from big falls and et cetera, that, that kind of thing. Exactly. I think also it's a psychological point, really, in that when people think of pensions, they think of security and they naturally want to take less risk, which is why, as Andrew said, is that people often take less risk with their pension because they think of pension, they think of security and their nest egg, when actually they should perhaps view it more as an investment wrapper. Okay, so that's really interesting. So basically, one element, obviously, one foundational element of of retirement planning is how much you're putting away each month, each year, etc. as you're working. Another foundational element is that whatever amount you're putting away, how best are you putting it to work in terms of where is it invested, etc., etc. And clearly, the longer you have to your retirement date, it almost you, it should bias you more towards taking bigger risks, etc. But where does tax fit into into all of this? Surely uh, there's enormous tax implications of doing one thing versus another. We can't always control what the markets do on any, any given day, so we have to look to take control of the certainties. And there are some wrappers out there, such as pensions, that will give you tax relief going in. So you're giving yourself a head start. And even something as basic as as funding your ISAs. If you've um, maximised your pension contributions, then the next place to look at is your ISAs. And these are basic savings tools, but they're very efficient. Over the long term, saving... 20,000 into an ISA, I think it is at the moment, can generate you a big pot in retirement. Well, actually, it's funny that you mentioned, because I was recently reading an article where there's something like 150 ISA millionaires in the UK. Wow. So what does the, how does one become an ISA millionaire? Through doing the basics, investing every year into an ISA and taking some investment risk with that. I mean, the people that you're talking about there will have taken some investment risk to get will to... Will have maxed out their contribution and put it in sort of eight, risky eight, parts over the, over the years, etc. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Cash isn't going to have got you to, uh, to the million status. They've put a good chunk of money away every year and put it to work in a, in, in a, in a high-return sort of way and all of it in a tax-free wrapper. Yeah, they've taken advantage of the allowances the government give you to, to save for retirement. So now getting on to a more um, uh, perhaps controversial topic. Are there any differences between the genders, between men and women, and the way that we save, we, we, we invest, the, the goals that we have in retirement? I think it's more to do the way in which men and women save rather than their goals. As we said earlier, everybody wants to retire at some point. Everybody wants a comfortable retirement. But there have actually been some trends in the way that men and women are trying to achieve that. There's been a lot of research and discussion in recent years about the fact that women are less likely to invest than men and are also less likely to have a savings or investment product like a pension or an ISA. Um, But the tide has actually changed this year. Uh, A report was actually launched earlier this year that stated that the number of women saving for retirement has hit a record high. There have been a number of reasons for this. One of them has been largely in part down to auto-enrolment, which is where employers are required to offer 
pension schemes to all employees, which has meant that more and more women are automatically being enrolled in being a member of their workplace pension. However, interestingly enough, the report looked at self-employed women and entrepreneurs, and actually one in three female entrepreneurs said they're saving nothing for retirement. But in general, the message is more positive, as I said, that more and more women are saving. But unfortunately, there are other factors. So one of the biggest reasons of why women have smaller pensions or savings than men is to do with the gender pay gap. Uh, And it's actually estimated that women are losing out on £78,000 in retirement just because of the gender pay gap. Mary, Surely retirement planning is something that we need to start worrying about in our 50s. I'd say even earlier, actually. I'd say the sooner the better. I'd say. So how soon are we talking? I'd say in your 20s is a perfect time to think about saving for retirement, perhaps. I'd say the earlier the better. As soon as somebody starts earning, they should start thinking about retiring. And sort of what is that literally as simple as putting away £50 a month when you're just beginning in your 20s? And then obviously building that up as you go on. Yes, so it should also be affordable and in proportion to your income. Like I said, starting earlier is always better. And then over the long term, you can see that growth. The earlier you start saving, there is a compounding effect. And compounded interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Indeed. Okay, so let's say that I, I take Marion's advice. I go back in time. I start putting something proportional and appropriate away every month. How do I know, sort of, as I'm getting closer to retirement, I'm in my 50s, you know, how do I know if I'm doing well, if I have enough, if, I'm, if I've got a shortfall? Are there any rules of thumb? Perhaps a good metric to look at is what you're going to spend in uh, retirement and perhaps multiplying that by around 20. Um, so give me an example. Then. So, for instance, if, if your expenditure levels are expected to be 100,000 in retirement, then really you, you're looking at a pot of two million to be able to meet your um, expenditure. Got you. And, you know, let's say that, OK, I've done all of that. Like, you know, I've saved money from my 20s. I've somehow built up a pot of two million if I want 100,000 in, 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 in income. How do I know if it's the right time to retire? I'm in my 60s. I mean, do people retire at 60 anymore? I don't know. I think retirement nowadays has changed to what it previously was. So if you look at baby boomers, for example, their ethos was a savings culture. They worked saved as much as possible and then when they retired they completely stopped working and lived on those savings and pension. Nowadays if you look at what people are doing is that actually they work longer, they also have more flexible work, uh, business interests so there's not a fixed date where they say actually we're of pensionable age 60 or 65 we're going to stop completely they actually say to themselves, we actually like what we do. We don't want to stop completely. We want to carry on doing it in part or at least some of our time. To which there's also huge psychological health benefits. Well, yes, exactly. There are some psychological reports that say that the more purpose people have to their lives, which is often down to their work, then the longer their lives can be. Uh, We can see that, for example, with professional athletes. They obviously retire a lot earlier than the rest of the working population. But you can see that actually when they retire, there's big psychological impacts. Their life's changed, there's less purpose, and it can have effect on their longevity. I think also that people's jobs have changed since 
You know, if you go back to the 1960s and 70s, more people were employed in, in manual labour um, and physically it would be very difficult for them to continue to work into their 70s and 80s. More and more of us are, are now in office-based jobs. Service-based. Uh, Service-based, right. exactly. And I think that the the, the progression towards a service-based industry has meant that many people are able to continue to work perhaps later than previous generations. Right. And... You know, and, and what other sort of, I mean, is there a huge, I mean, I know you were mentioning about people in the 60s and 70s versus today, both of you. I mean, are there any other big generational shifts in how people think about retirement between sort of a, the boomers and, and, and the millennials? There's probably an assumption that millennials don't want to sacrifice consumption today for tomorrow. Whether that's true or not. Um, well, less consumption today for more consumption tomorrow. Yes, I was actually involved in a research project where we surveyed almost 5,000 millennials to understand their attitudes towards savings and retirement. And actually, there is a big difference. So previously, baby boomers were focused on buying a property and saving for retirement, whereas almost half of those that we surveyed said they were actually saving for a holiday rather than for their first property. Oh wow, that and that's that's crazy. Kind of touching what you said, how we are a nation of uh, aspiring home buyers, but clearly that seems to be changing. And, and is, there, is there are there reasons why? Yeah. So with the millennials, the reason for that is that they don't believe property ownership is within their grasp the way that baby boomers did, for example. So their mentality is actually, why are we saving towards something we may never achieve? We would rather use that disposable income on experiences, on holidays, on things that they know that they can enjoy now. However, there is an awareness among them because almost half also said they didn't feel they were saving enough for retirement. So they're aware that they're spending at the sacrifice of their future retirement. But it was interesting because 62% of those who responded said they would actually save more if they understood financial decision making more. So really, there's a clear financial need and for financial advisors to engage more with millennials and vice versa. Sucks being a millennial. There's definitely an advice gap there. And um, and perhaps the way the industry's gone, it's very difficult for those people to uh, to get advice because of the cost. So Andrew, conventional wisdom has it that a pension is used for income in retirement. Is this still the case, or or, or have pensions evolved with every like everything else? Pensions are con- consistently evolving. Um, if you go back to the start of my career. At the age of 75, clients had to buy an annuity with their pension, so they had to give up the capital lump sum for an income for life. Those rules changed in 2006. It wasn't particularly attractive to retain your pension post-75, but certainly since 2015, the rules now are very generous towards those individuals who don't necessarily need their pension in retirement, and would perhaps want to pass that on to to the next generation, to the children or grandchildren. How does that work? Well, pensions, as uh, as we discussed earlier, are a very tax-efficient vehicle for saving money. Uh, You get tax relief as the money goes into a pension, as the contribution goes in. The money grows tax-free, which is a huge advantage. But on death, uh, pensions also are very tax-advantageous. There's no inheritance tax on pensions. And if you were to die pre-75, the pension can be passed on free of tax. Post-75, again, 
beneficiaries can inherit the pension and just pay tax at their marginal rate of income as and when they decide to take any money out of the any money out of the pension. So it can be a very tax efficient vehicle for storing wealth for the next generation. Is this the the general trend now? Is is this what people are are, are up to with their pensions? Certainly this is a trend that's developed since 2015 and more and more of our clients are are leaving their pension as the last asset to touch. Um, so they will they will draw from their personal assets. So if they have savings in ISAs or other vehicles, they will take money from those first and then they'll leave their pension until last. So Mary and Andrew, I mean, if, there, if there's a few things that you really want our audience to take away regarding pensions and retirement planning, what, what is it? I would say start thinking of retirement as early as possible. The sooner the better. For those that already have a large pension fund, don't see pensions as a as a means to provide your retirement income. There may be more tax efficient ways of doing that and retaining the pension for the next generation. Okay, so start early, use all the wrappers and, and, and vehicles available to you and make sure that your money is working for you as best as possibly can. Exactly. Thank you very much for joining me in the studio today, Marion and Andrew. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on The Wealth Chat. To make sure that you never miss an episode, please subscribe on your podcast app of choice. I'm Fahad Kamal, and on behalf of Kleinwood Hambros, thanks for listening. This podcast is not a personal recommendation or investment advice. The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and past performance is not a guarantee of future performance. It is not intended that this podcast is distributed in or into the United States of America. This podcast is issued by the following companies in the Kleinwort Hambras Group. In the United Kingdom by SG Kleinwort Hambras Bank Limited, which is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. In the Channel Islands by SG Kleinwort Hambras Bank CI Limited which is regulated by the Jersey Financial Services Commission. SG Kleinwort Hambras Bank CI Limited Guernsey branch is also regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. Both entities are also authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority in respect of UK regulated mortgage business. In Gibraltar, SG Kleinwort Hambras Bank Gibraltar Limited is authorised and regulated by the Gibraltar Financial Services Commission.